Hi, everybody. Today we welcome Lori Lee. Her story is heavy, and we're talking about difficult things like sexual abuse and suicide. So please use your discretion as you listen and take care of yourself. In fact, if you're very sensitive about this, skip the whole episode. We'll be back next week. Lori Lee grew up in a Filipino-American household. She says when she was a child, her father sexually abused her. She eventually left home and found ways to process the pain and trauma of the experience. Years later, as an adult, Lori Lee made the decision to speak with her mother about it. Let's get into it. Uh, my name is Lori Lee Binstock. I am the host of a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast and editor-in-chief of Authentic Insider Magazine Monthly. Um, I am also a trauma survivor. Growing up, I called my parents mama and dad. I am Filipino-American. My parents are immigrants. My mom worked a lot. My dad was in the military. They were very much of the culture of do as your parents say, speak when you're spoken to. My relationship with them um, was really difficult. I was also um, abused by my father. I, I kind of knew like, this isn't right. This is, this is completely wrong. There were times that as a child, I asked my mother, I was like, I need to speak to somebody. I'm sad, I'm depressed. Uh, a lot of it stemmed from the the abuse that I didn't feel comfortable um, saying out loud. I was screaming for help. I was screaming for um, attention. I was screaming for someone to to hear me. One day, I was 13 years old. I decided to go into my parents' medicine cabinet. And I didn't know what any of these medications were. I knew that they were all prescriptions. So I just took as many as I could. When I look back at it now, I think the reason why I did that was because I thought, my mom won't take me to the doctor to see a therapist or someone to speak to. I don't even know if we even knew that there were therapists there, but I knew something was wrong. Um, that if I did this, they would take me to the hospital at the very least. And they didn't. They didn't want other people to know that something was, quote unquote, wrong with me. The way my parents addressed um, the suicide attempt was to tell me that everything is okay that I just needed to forget about it and move on. That's my mother's MO. It's very much like, if you don't think about it, and I, I just hear this all the time, and when I say it out loud, I can actually hear it in her voice. If you don't think about it, then it'll just go away. As a child, nobody knew about the, the abuse. If they did, nobody said anything. My dad was very kind to everybody. Like my, my family was extremely um, kind. You know, they're Filipinos. Every Christmas they would make Filipino food for everybody. No one thought that there was something really wrong. Um, well, my dad would yell at me all the time. Maybe my friend's parents saw it as maybe it's a cultural thing, but you know, her parents are nice enough. There shouldn't be anything too bad going on in that house, so. I didn't feel comfortable saying the talking about the sexual abuse to my mother out loud, um, mostly because I felt like I would get dismissed. When I turned 18, 
I left for college. That was literally the the best decision that I actually made for myself. I got a job. I did all the things that I was supposed to do. And I still saw a therapist, but I also never talked about the trauma. I didn't think that the sexual abuse was important enough to discuss. I had my last suicide attempt in February of 2020. My children were got, were out of the house, but my husband came home. And then I finally just blurted out what had happened to me. He immediately was very compassionate. And he said, we're going to get you the help. I think it was all saying everything out loud. It became real. I eventually told my mom over the phone. I mentally prepared myself for days. I talked to my therapist about it for days. And she was shocked. No, really? What? How did this happen? How did I not know? Which I think is a little crazy because it's like I I asked for help all the time and she wasn't there to hear me. To be honest, I didn't expect her to believe me. Um, her response was, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. I'm going to leave your father. And then she confronted my father and he actually admitted he apologized via text. Um, and... What happened eventually was my mom stayed with him and just recently um, told me to, you know, is it possible for us to see the grandkids? I spoke to her for the last time around last year saying, I'm not going to bring my children around dad unless he's dead. And she said, can we just forget about it? Everything's going to be fine. And so it was the same kind of thing over and over again. Pretend that it doesn't happen. You can suppress it and it can go away for as long as you need it to for some people, I guess. As a mom, Lori Lee's story shook me to my core. Child sexual abuse is a difficult topic to discuss under any circumstances, but it's nearly impossible when the alleged perpetrator is a family member. Lori Lee's experience also made me think about how, in many immigrant families, cultural factors, attitudes about family cohesion, and taboos around sex and sexuality can make these topics so much harder to broach. How can first gens, whether as survivors or concerned relatives, better prepare to have these extremely serious yet delicate conversations with our loved ones, if and when they're ready to do so? To help us figure it out, I called in an expert. My name is Mira Youssef, and I am based in Des Moines, Iowa. I am the executive director of Monsoon Asians and Pacific Islanders in Solidarity, and also one of the staff of the National Organization of API Ending Sexual Violence, which is a program under Monsoon. I always start with the same question, which is, as you listened, what did you hear in Lori Lee's story? I felt a lot of her pain. Her story is not isolated. It's a story that I hear from friends. It's a story that is shared by a lot of uh, women, men, and, you know, non-gender conforming folks especially like immigrants and especially like in the Filipino community, because I am Filipino. The words that came to my mind is silence, disclosure, 
um, asking for help. Um, so those are the things that were going on with my head when I was thinking about it. So I want to talk about silence. Silence is both harmful and protective in many of our intergenerational conflicts. Can you expand on on how you perceive silence in a situation like this one? So for me, silence is, it's harmful when we are not, when we don't talk about the issue, that we don't believe survivors and victims. But then it's also protecting family. If there's silence, you're protecting the family, the community. What we're then sacrificing are the children that has been harmed. Sometimes, and specifically for immigrant community and specifically for Asian and then specifically for Filipino community, I think survivors and victims, they don't want to disclose until that person dies. Mm. But for me, what was really surprising is when her mother believed her, when she disclosed and her mother believed her, I was like, wow. But then the fact that she went back and then said, forget about it, that is protecting the family. Parents of adult survivors of child sexual abuse, of child sexual abuse in general, they are kind of like in the middle. There's this person that they love who harms someone that they also love. So where are they? Protecting the child for me is crucial. But then at the same time, it's the husband that might be or the partner who might be like financially supporting them. So there's a lot of factors. Right. It feels as if um, in many instances, one of the parents has to make a choice about, do I believe the child and then separate from the perpetrator? Do I believe the perpetrator and then just let the child deal with it? In your work, what do you see people doing once they know? And then what do you recommend in terms of the disclosure for people who are survivors who want to get to the point of disclosing this to a parent or to a close family member? The mother will usually go back. We've seen that so many times. Mm-hmm. This disregard of children. I think there's this thing about adultism as if like our voices does not matter and the, what had happened to us does not matter. And let's just forget about it because we need to be a family. So there's two things that can happen when someone disclose. Either they're not believed and then when they are believed. But then the point is like, what will happen then? What will then the action after that? Right. It's as crucial when you said, I don't believe you. Or when you say, I believe you, but I will go back to your dad and forgive them. Right. Is that really what the survivor wanted when we were like working with survivors? We always ask, what is the purpose of you disclosing, uh, especially if you're an adult survivor? And if they said, I just want to for healing. And also now maybe I have a child who's the same age when the abuse started. I don't want it to happen to them. We will tell them, be prepared to not getting believe or you're going to be like acknowledge. And what will be your reaction if you were not believe? Because family is so important for us, right? Especially for immigrant folks. If family is like everything for us. So that means you need to be ready to end that relationship for now. But then if you disclose, you know, what will happen next? Do you do an accountability? And what does really accountability in our community, what does that mean? So in this case, Lori Lee informs her mother that she will not bring her own children 
around her father. And it seems that by extension, then her mother will not get to see the children because her mother has chosen to stay in the relationship. So in a way, that next generation is also being impacted and is having to make a big sacrifice, that of not having their grandparents in their lives because of the abuse that Lori Lee experienced. Is this something that you see in your work where multiple generations are being impacted? Oh, yes, definitely. I, I think um, I, we see this a lot, this intergenerational uh, trauma, conflict, uh, we at Monsoon, at Napisev, we really try to like discuss and have a discussion because we don't really have the spaces to discuss it in an honest way. And then how do we talk to our elders? How do we talk to our parents about it? Because they themselves might have been victims and survivors and we don't know because they're not sharing. Because again, it's that silence. So what do you say to folks that you work with about how do you prepare? When we prepare them, basically thinking about the worst, mm. preparing them for that. So this is what's going to happen. This might happen. Uh, are you willing then to not have any relationship with your mother? Uh, and if they said yes, okay, then let's figure out then how you're going to say it, right? If they said, uh, you know what, I'm just going to tell them. Uh, if they still don't believe me, I will still be part of the family, but there are certain things that I will do differently. For example, like holidays, you see your parents, you visit your family members, right? What do I do just in case that I'm triggered? How do I make sure that I'm grounded, that they're not going to mess up what I feel or I'm triggered at that moment? So then we kind of provide those kind of like scenarios and then giving them strategies how to like be grounded. Let's say that the parents are not being supportive and maybe they're even denying what happened. How can other members of the family create an environment in which someone we love feels safe to come and talk to us about it? I think one thing that we, you know, like I myself will practice or other folks that we, we tell them is, for example, we're having a, a family function or we have a we have a family dinner, whatever, you could always tell who will be the best auntie or uncle to go to, to, to share information about certain things. You just know, like deep in your feelings, right? <laughs> I, I know you do because deep in your guts, like I can definitely come talk to that uncle and they will not judge me because I am gay. I think it's also like up to organizations locally to discuss about sexual violence, to talk about domestic violence and other forms of violence in the community and just really educate our community members in order for them to be the first responder that will accept and that will validate that person's feelings, that person's experiences. Because for us, first disclosure is crucial. Mm. So that even like having conversation with community members saying like, hey, you know, um, you need to make sure that if uh, a child disclosed to you that there is a sexual abuse that's going on in the family, you need to believe them. If they are believed, we can do something immediately, right? And then this person will say, I am now comfortable in sharing what had happened to me because they believe me. But if the first disclosure is not a good experience, then it, it's basically that not believing them is silencing. 
as the person listening and receiving the information, you basically have to hold off any doubt, hold off making any judgments, jumping to any conclusions, and just allow the person to tell you what they came to tell you. Yes. And then usually what happens with specifically for uh, sexual abuse or child sexual abuse is they don't want you to solve it. All they want is to be heard. All they want is to be validated and say, I believe you, right? And that is enough. In reality, a lot of immigrant communities and families, the reporting, we don't do that because we still see them as a family member. That's still their father. That's still your uncle. So when we think about justice, so-called justice for sexual assault survivors and victims, and specifically adult survivors of child sexual abuse, we don't really ask, what is justice for you? I really like this question you just posed. What is justice for you? It makes me think about, as an adult who might be prepared to disclose this information, do I need to understand, do I have to have a definition of what justice looks looks like for me before I disclose so that then if I need help in getting that justice, I can ask for that help? Or is that something that that definition of justice comes out of the process of disclosing? I think like each person might be, it, it will be diverse in, you know, like how you will see that or how you will practice that. That is something that we ask immediately, like, what do you really want from this? And sometimes they will say, you know, I want to sue or whatever. So then we will go with them with that, right? But most of the time, the victims and survivors that we are assisting, they will just say, I just want it to end. I don't want it. I just want to prevent it to happen again in the future. For them, it might not be going to court or whatever, but it just really say that person who harmed them, acknowledging that they were, that they harmed them. Doesn't have to be forgiveness, but it's just this acknowledgement of like, I hurt you. I'm really all about the practice of transformative justice. I recommend the work of Mia Mingus. I recommend the work of Mimi Kim, who does a fabulous work on a community accountability and transformative justice. Ah, Mira, thank you so much. You've been phenomenal. Thank you so much. Okay, here's what we learned from Mira today. Plan for the worst case scenario. When disclosing abuse to family members, there is always the chance you will not be believed. Prepare mentally and emotionally for that possibility and create a plan of action to keep yourself grounded and safe either way. Consider your end goal. When thinking about disclosing abuse, try to pinpoint what you want to get out of the disclosure, whether it's healing, closure, accountability, justice. Consider as well what these words mean to you. And remember, Believe survivors. If someone discloses that they are or have been victims of sexual abuse or child sexual abuse, believe them. Hold off any doubt or judgment. Validate their feelings and experiences and listen with an open mind. The National Sexual Assault Hotline offers confidential support for survivors of sexual abuse 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The number is 800 
1-800-656-4673. That's 1-800-656-HOPE. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline also offers 24-7 confidential support. Their number is 800-273-8255. We'll have additional resources in our episode notes. Thank you for listening and for sharing us. How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything is an original production of LWC Studios. Virginia Lora is the show's producer. Kojin Tashiro is our mixer. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. I'm the creator, Julie Calantigua. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Talk to Mommy Papi. Bye, everybody. Same place next week. <laughs>